this is Gavin McLeod, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. So you played this weekend. Tell me, tell me about the gig. How was it? It was fantastic. So we actually just got back from it. It was at the uh, the Painted Lady last night on Ossington, right here in Toronto, and uh, I sold it out. It was an EP release party, so it was kind of a, a big event, and tons of friends and family and fans came. And it was uh, I'm still trying to process it all right now, but it was like it was it was very good. Oh, that's good. Mm. So I know that it's like a four or five song EP. Mm. Um, I presume you do a lot more than four or five songs. Yeah. What else? What are the, is it mainly originals that you're playing last night? Yeah. So the EP is four songs, uh, but we we've got a lot of a lot of festivals coming up this summer. So it's been it's been a long process trying to write new material, get enough together to to have a full set. So last last night was kind of the tester to see you know can we play a full hour and a half of mostly original stuff. Uh, so we've been we've been rehearsing a lot, and you know, so we played the whole EP plus a bunch of new stuff, and just kind of testing it to see what people would like. Okay, so I have to ask you, what were the non-originals? What do you play, which is mm. covers? Uh, well, kind of being in the in the blues world, there's a lot of I play a lot of blues stuff as well, uh, but the blues stuff I play is kind of more contemporary artists who have covered older artists, and uh, that's how I, I found out about it. Like Gary Clark Jr. Mm-hmm. covers. Uh, uh, a song called "If Trouble Was Money," right. which I think is an Albert Collins song. So stuff like that. We do a lot of you know old blues covers. I'm a big Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, so you know we can pull all that stuff if we want to. Uh, and then a lot of the stuff we write is kind of in that vein as well. So it's it, you know it's all all sort of blues focused. And then at the end of the night, we just kind of we did a bunch of covers that people wanted to hear, Beatles stuff and Chris Stapleton and stuff like that. And everyone was singing, so that's nice. always fun. Okay, so I have to ask you, how did you get into the blues? So this is a this is a story that kind of connects us in a way because when we when we met at the Blues Summit, uh, I realized that you you filmed Matt Anderson, right? Great great blues player. Uh, so I saw him at Hughes Room with my grandfather and my and my dad when I was eight years old, and he was playing to like was maybe fifty people there, and went there and had dinner and I saw this guy come out on stage and just just him and an acoustic guitar. Sorry, did you know anything about him before you went there? Nothing about him. So no. it's either your dad or your grandfather yeah. were fans. Yeah, so my, my grandfather knew about Matt Anderson. He would, he'd been in the scene for a while, and he kind of told us, you know, oh, you should come see this, this guy play, because I was just starting to play guitar at the time. Right. And, you know, when you're just starting to play, you know, you're playing all the ACDC and all of the, uh, all the standard rock songs, and I had no clue about the blues, really, and then... I saw this guy come out on stage and for like two hours play just just phenomenal blues music and, and that I didn't know what it was at the time, which is the funny part. And uh it just captivated me and I was I wanted to know more about what he was doing and uh I that kinda started leading me down the path of getting into this type of music. But it was it was him and I know you've you've filmed him before yeah, yeah. and uh yeah, he's been a big inspiration for me. Because he's not your typical blues artist, mm. right? So it's interesting. He's a great songwriter. He's a great performer. Mm. Um, what do you think it was about him that drew you to his music? I think it was the uh, it was the powerful voice and like the storytelling sort of thing. And that I think that's what gets me with a lot of artists. Uh, you know, I'm a guitar player first and foremost, but you know, I love seeing a good guitar player play. 
but I always like a guy who can go out there and tell a story and uh doesn't matter how well he plays guitar if he goes out there and, and there's there's passion behind it I think that's what grabbed me honestly is the the fact that he just went out there and just left it on the stage yeah, yeah. and I've seen him like five times since yeah and then also uh the other guy who kind of got me really into the, the blues and you know this isn't you know Jack White from the White Stripes mm-hmm. so I saw a video of him my dad showed me a video of him on Conan O'Brien uh doing a White Stripes thing and I this is like when I was young didn't know what blues was and uh he played this he played this tune and mid song he takes his guitar off puts it on Conan's desk and plays a slide solo and like <laughs> and I was just the same thing it just captivated me and I didn't know you know, I didn't put it into a category of blues or rock or whatever. I just knew I wanted to do something like that. Right. And, uh, you know, it's moments like that that kind of stick with you. And, you know, later down the road, you start digging into it and you realize where that stuff came from. And, you know, that's what led me on this blues path. So, okay, before that, tell me about the guitar. How did that come into your life? Mm. So the guitar, this is kind of a funny story. So uh, the game Rock Band, like the Xbox yeah, yeah. game. So my, my whole family's been musical for as long as I can remember. And we had, we'd bought in that game. I'd never played an instrument before. And I was playing the drums when I was about seven or eight. And we'd always, we'd always had a drum kit downstairs and I never really thought much of it until I was playing that game and my dad saw I had a bit of a knack for playing drums and he put me on the kit. And then it was very soon after playing drums, I picked up a guitar. Uh, my parents, I got to thank them for being so supportive of it because they went and bought me an acoustic and uh, I just... I got obsessed with it. I'm, <laughs> I, I couldn't stop thinking about it, you know? And it's been guitar ever since. Well, which is the way people get better. Mm, yeah. Right? So, oh, yeah. Um, is your dad a musician? Where does he play? Yeah, so he, he's a drummer. Uh, he's, he's drummed his whole life. He, he played in high school bands and stuff like that. And he still plays, uh, he still plays for fun. We still jam all the time. But uh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I think that's... I think that's a big thing coming from a family, you know, a lot of, a lot of people on my dad's side play guitar or drums and, uh, it was always like family parties, Christmas parties, everyone's playing something, everyone's jamming or, uh, picking up a guitar or something. So coming from a family like that really, really helps. And it, it also helps cause you know, we both know the musician thing is a, it's a tough road. So, you know, having parents that support that is, is huge. Yeah. Although... You know, I, I did have a chance to chat with your dad once. Mm. And so, and I did ask him about this. I said, oh, do you worry that your son wants to go into music, which is a tough business? Mm. And he said, well, I, I just, I don't worry because I think he would succeed in anything that he goes into. Well, that's right? very, very kind of him to say. <laughs> well, I, uh. I think, yeah. But, I mean, you're doing music, but you've done so much at your young age of 19. Are you still 19 or are you 19, 20? Yeah. Okay. So, you've done <laughs> acting. Mm-hmm. You've also you're basically a skateboarder, or you started skate right. You yeah. have a following with your skateboarding. Yeah. You also have, I guess, that would be the way that you have a YouTube following. Yeah, yeah. We should get into that yeah. a little bit. So tell me that. about that. Tell me, obviously, is skateboard the first thing that came into your life? Uh, I think I think music came in a little before. Oh, okay. But I went through a stage in like you know grade eight into high school where you know, people are skateboarding and that was, that was a big thing. A lot of friends were doing that. So naturally I just kind of led myself into that path. Was that easy? Uh, it's funny. It was just always something, just a hobby. You know, I always, I always did well in school. I always focused on that. 
Uh, but a lot of my friends skateboarded and I, I have this, this mentality where whatever I do in life, I just try to do it to the best of my abilities or right. you know, whatever. So that's kind of what led me there. And I, I, I picked up a camera when I was about maybe 13. I uh, just bought, bought myself a DSLR uh, with, with money I made walking dogs in the neighborhood. And, uh, and I realized this YouTube thing could be a real fantastic tool. Were you watching a lot of skateboard videos? Yeah, I was obsessed with it. Okay. <laughs> and this is from somebody who doesn't know anything about mm-hmm. skateboarding. Is that the way you learned new tricks? Is that... It, with skateboarding, it's kind of like, you know, to compare it to the music world, it's kind of like going to jam sessions. Like when you go to the, the skate park. Right. It's kind of like you're going to a, to a jam session and you kind of, you learn from the older guys. And uh, the, the two cultures are very, very similar, I find. And I, I don't skate as much now. Right. I've kind of, you know, I'm focusing so much on music now, but... I well, definitely learned a lot anything. from it. I that's actually the reason I start, I stopped stop skateboarding. <laughs> that's a good you know? reason. I uh, and you know with, with school and everything now yeah. and, and music, it's like man, if I break my arm, I'm uh, I'm out for six months. And but you know I'm lucky to get to have gotten out of that world you know injury free, and uh, I learned a lot from it. And to to talk about the YouTube thing, you know I was a young kid, and I just started posting these skateboard videos, and then I started you know, started building a bit of a fan base, which is crazy because I was like a 13, 14 year old kid. And uh, so did you have any idea what you want, what you were hoping to get out of posting those videos? I had, I had no other intention other than uh, just enjoying myself and doing what I wanted to do. Right. And uh, I, th- I think that's really important because I think as soon as you start creating content with the intention of getting a bunch of views it's it, it's so transparent and that shows in what you're doing right. and that, I think that's the same for if you're making a record and you're doing it with like an end purpose of selling a million records in mind maybe you can sell a million records <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be the best music you know right and yeah so with the with the YouTube thing I was I was doing it for fun uh and the first video that got me a lot of traction was when I started showing a bit of my my life and my personality and I uh, flipped the camera around on myself, and I had this video where I started off, I was I had my guitar, I was playing a blues tune, and then I introduced myself, and then I kind of took the camera on my day, so I went to the skate park, met up with some friends, and then I uh, went and played a gig, and I was pretty young at the time, and then, I don't know, those, those videos started blowing up, and I'm very grateful for that, because now it's kind of helped me start this sort of, this music thing going as well. Explain blowing up, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Mm. So... Uh, a couple of those videos there, I called them day in the life videos, right. which are you know pretty common videos these days. But uh, they were getting like 300, 400,000 views a video for a while, like video after video. Wow. And uh, you know, this is while I'm trying to go to school as well. So I wasn't thinking too far in advance. I was just kind of posting videos and uh, I didn't have the foresight at the time to, to think, man, this could be a great opportunity for my music career down the road. So luckily a lot of those people have stuck around into my, into my music career, which is, which, you know, is awesome. Uh, do you have, sorry, do you have a sense of who those people are? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the analytics or whatever, which is a great tool, uh, a lot of kids my age Okay. and it blows my mind because I've, you know, I've traveled to Florida and California, you know, all around and I've met up with kids saying, Oh man, I, I watch your, I used to watch your, you know, skateboard, fingerboard videos back in the day. And, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is crazy. It's, it's a really crazy thing that 
whatever you're doing on YouTube or, you know, personally for me, it's YouTube, but it could be Instagram. You know, you're, you can post content to the world and there's no middleman there and you can connect with people who, you know, who like what you're doing. Yeah. You can go halfway across the world and, and meet up with someone who connects with you on that level, which is fantastic thing about the internet. It is amazing. And it's also amazing that you would have three, 400,000 people watching what you do. And, yeah. and more than that now, right? Like, I mean, there's... Yeah, I think the... Last time I checked, I think we're at, like, God, like 17 million views or something collectively. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I don't even understand how that makes any sense, how that happened, but... So, I, I know there's comments. Do you get any other feedback from these things? Mm. Yeah, the feedback... The feedback's the funny thing, because as, as a kid posting videos, you know, you're, there's no filter there for... People can say whatever they like. Exactly. So... For the most part, it's it's good comments, uh, but when you have a video go viral or something, it's, it opens the floodgates to whoever wants to say whatever they'd like. But how much of it is, is critique on, on your skateboarding versus critique on you, the mm. person? I think it's funny. The skateboarding thing, I am, uh, as far as skateboarders go, I'm not, I'm not a great skateboarder at all. I never was, uh, and I don't think my channel was about that. It was about just kind of showing my life. Uh, showing my personality, my friend group. Uh, but I was never really a great skateboarder. Right. And I think there was a lot of comments about that. You know, <laughs> if someone stumbles across a video with half a million views and the kid can barely skateboard, he's like, well, what, you know, what the heck's going on here, <laughs> right? But uh, I think it just shows that there's something, there's something deeper there. And maybe, you know, the skill of what you're doing doesn't matter as much if you can find a bit of a niche in a, in a different area, possibly. Um, did you not set a goal? I don't know if this is a goal, but you mm. did meet Tony Hawk. Mm. Yeah, that, oh God, that's crazy. So I, I don't even know how this happens still. So I, I, there's a guy in town here who owns a, uh, a skate park, an indoor skate park named, mm. uh, it's called CJ's and, and the owner had me in when I was about 15, 16, uh, to discuss doing a social media marketing plan for the skate park. And which, you know, at, at the time, I was so young. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in a boardroom with a couple people. and uh, But you had the views. You had a following. Yeah, so I, I had the numbers there, and I knew I kind of had that on my side, so I could always kind of show that, you know, what I've done has a proven track record. And anyway, so that that led me to uh, this crazy experience where he, he had me out to film Tony Hawk, who, if, if you don't know, he's like... He's the he's guy. He's probably the... When you talk about legendary skateboarders and... Yeah. especially in pop culture and a lot of people know who he is uh, he he was doing a demo at Young and Dundas Square set up a massive ramp there was like 10,000 people there and I'm a young kid and he had me up on the ramp filming the guy which like I, I've played his video games and it's crazy everyone knows that guy and I uh, filmed an interview with him after uh, I was doing the filming and I had you know CJ was doing the uh, right. the interviewing but I mean that's still one of my, you know, craziest experiences for sure. And I mean, it's all, all through this YouTube thing, right? Which, you know, I, I, I've, I tell people all the time, if, uh, if you're trying to make a YouTube, you know, a music career or a career in this business, if you, if you can make a natural following on a platform like that, the, the cost to do it is almost nothing. You know, you got to buy a camera, have an internet connection. That's really it. And if you can build a natural fan base like that, the, the sky's the limit. Although it's not an easy thing, you know, and, I, and, and a lot of people would say, yeah, I'm, 
I'm going to put some stuff on YouTube. And that doesn't necessarily mean it equates to people viewing. Mm. You know, you have to have certain things and it seems to work for some people and not for others. Mm. I, I think you have youth and age working for you. Mm. Um, good looks. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, uh, I mean, there's certain things that I could post me on a skateboard and probably get like no views. Mm. So yeah, yeah, can you, is there anything else that you could quantify that says this is how I got the following? It's hard to, uh, to, to look back at it now and say why, why it happened. Uh, but I think going back to what I said before, uh, when you go in with, with no intentions of getting a bunch of views and you're, you're kind of doing it for the sake of the art or you're doing it for the sake of the uh, just having fun and that translates in the videos and I think it's bad advice to give because I think you know if you give that advice to someone with a camera they could make what they want to make put it out there and no one wants to not wait, wants wait. to watch it right but I truthfully think that's the the best way to do it rather than try to see what the market wants and then you know manufacture videos for that Right. You know, cause that can work in the short term, but if you want to, if you want to build an audience, do what you want to do, uh, as best as you can do it. And if, if people want to watch, they will come sort of thing. So when these things started to blow up and I'm not sure how it started, like, I don't know if you started with 15 people and then all of a sudden it went to a hundred, then whatever. But when it got to hundreds of thousands what did that do to you? Like, did you now? I can all, uh, I can easily see something like that happening, and you thinking, oh, what do I do now? Oh, it's changing you a little bit, right? Like, yeah. it, was that ever an issue? Uh, well, when all that was happening, I was still in high school, right. grade ten, eleven. So, you know, I never kind of brought that part of me to school. You know, I kind of left that as kind of a side thing, and if people knew about it, they you know, they knew about it. Uh, but, you know, again, I don't think I had the foresight at the time to say, you know, I'm getting all these views and subscribers and, you know, I didn't really have the business mind on my head, you know, at, at the time to say, man, I could translate this into, you know, money or whatever. Right. So it was honestly just kind of a fun thing to do on the side. And uh, I, I hope it didn't change me too much. You know, it was just kind of a fun thing to do. And it, 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 st it has stayed that way. Uh, even into doing music now, it's still, it's still just something I love to do. It's just fun, fun to make videos. Right. And uh, if something comes from it, you know, that's, that's, that's good. Okay. So the other thing mm -hmm. in your many things that you do, you're on a TV show playing a musician, right? Yeah. So there's acting involved. Tell me about the acting side of things. Or tell me how that came about. <laughs> Now I wouldn't call this acting because I'm not <laughs> I'm not much of an actor. But you won TV for two seasons. Yes. So the uh, the show was it was a Family Channel show called Backstage. Right. And uh, it was made by the same people as Degrassi. Uh, so it's kind of it's very similar to that show except it was in an art school. So there was dancing, singing, all that. Uh, so the the way I got that show was through through my YouTube actually. Uh, I have a music YouTube channel as well. And I sent one of those videos in to a casting agency looking for a, the, the lead role of this TV show. I'd, I'd had zero acting experience at the time, but I think what they were looking for was was musicians. They wanted the music to be the real part of the show, right. which I, I respect a lot because I think 
you know, there's a lot of TV shows out there where if you're a musician and you're watching the show, you're like, I know he's not playing, I know he's not playing the right chord there or whatever. So I love the fact that they were looking for, for real musicians. Uh, so I tried out for the, the lead role of this, this show and with no experience at the time. And I got the call back saying, didn't get the lead role, but we want you to be a background musician on the show. So I was, I was very excited for that because that, me- that meant I didn't have to worry about the acting side of things. I just had to do what I do, right. play music. So for two seasons, it was filmed in the summer because a, a lot of the actors were kids. Everyone at school in the, in the school year. Uh, and it was 30, what was it? 30 days. Uh, they filmed it at a school, actually around this area, kind of uh, North Toronto. Mm-hmm. And it was a great experience. I'd never, I'd never seen something like that before, like being part of a production like that with hundreds and hundreds of people working together for a collective goal. Right. And, uh, and you're just kind of a pawn in this thing. You're, you're sitting in your tent all day. You get fed a nice buffet meal every day. And uh, when they call you, you got to be ready. You go, you do your thing. Uh, it was, I got to meet a lot of great people and network with some, you know, some, some crazy people. And uh, I actually got to sing and play guitar on a few few of the tracks on the show, and uh, yeah, that was that was a great experience. Okay, so what did that do for your following? I mean, did you did that automatically translate to more people becoming your YouTube followers? Or I think a lot of the like the lead actors on that show, they went on to have you know they're doing the music career thing right now. Uh, Family Channel does like a summer concert at Budweiser Stage, right? So they're all doing that stuff, and but it's kind of through the characters on the show, which is cool. Uh, for me, just because I was kind of a background musician, it was more just doing it. It was great money for a, for a kid to be making at the time, and uh, I got to be part of the Actra union, which was great, uh, and experienced a lot of things. But the the whole following, you know, it wasn't the show wasn't focused around me, or I wasn't a main part of the show. Right. So it was just kind of a side thing, and uh, you know, I did share that experience with my followers just through my videos but it was just more a good experience for me okay so we, we talked about this before but I know you're still young mm-hmm. so it's not fair to say if music was definitely the path you're going to go down but it is the path you're going down at this point yeah and when I first met you we talked about this and you said well I don't want to be a blues musician per se I want to be more like guy like John Mayer is mm. I think you you used as an example of uh, somebody who, who definitely plays the blues but not necessarily sleep only in the blues yeah. tell me about that theory tell me about the direction you're going yeah so the, the direction I'm going right now uh, I've been very lucky to meet up with the Toronto Blues Society so this is about a year and a half ago I was at Harbor Front in Toronto and great musician named Spencer McKenzie mm-hmm. young kid I've gotten to know him now. He's a great kid uh, and great blues player. And I saw him playing at this festival there. And at the time, I, you know, I was playing in a cover band and I was doing school. And I, didn't, I, I knew I wanted to do music, but I didn't know how to do it. It's, there's this moment in, uh, in everyone's music career where you're trying to figure out how to bridge that gap between I really want to play music for a living, but I don't know who to talk to and how to get there. Right. So anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there. My parents and I just had dinner. And I'm watching Spencer play this show. I'm sitting there like, there was this, I'm a pretty competitive guy. 
And it wasn't, it wasn't like, I want to compete against this kid. It was just, I, I had this fire burning inside me to play big stages and I knew I could, but I didn't know how to get there. And after the show, I talked to him and I talked to the organizers and I said, you know, who, who organized this show? And, uh, the uh, Toronto Blues Society. So I knew that was kind of the path I had to go down. And, uh, cause they were supporting a young kid playing blues music, which was exactly what I wanted to do. So I think a couple months go by, my bass player sends me a link to the Toronto Blues Society talent search, right. which I was like, Oh, got to do that. Got to do that. So I got in the studio, recorded a couple live tracks with my band and sent it in just hoping maybe I'd, I'd get into this contest. And I get an email back. They're like, Hey, we'd love to have you play in our, uh, our top six, which is at the tr- what was it? Toronto jazz festival. Right. So I went and played that show. I didn't, I didn't place top three. And to me, that was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I, in my head, I had this vision of, you know, placing, because there was prizes if you won, you could play these festivals and things. Right. So as a kid at the time, it was so stupid of me to think this, but I was, I was kind of discouraged. I was like, ah, oh, I, you know, I didn't win, whatever, but I had a great time. And the, uh, the, I mean, Derek Andrews from the Toronto Blues Society, we, uh, we met up after that and he kind of told me some of the opportunities that they could they could give me and uh you know soon after that they wanted to send me to memphis tennessee mm-hmm. to represent canada at the the international blues challenge and it was all from that one moment of you know watching spencer on that stage there and connecting with the toronto blues society and they've been they've been so much help you know ever since that moment and uh you know i wouldn't be here doing this today i met you through the, uh, yeah, the yeah. blues summit so that was kind of my path through uh to, to meet them and it's been it's been all great ever since then so when you went into the studio what did you was it original songs you recorded or did you do blues tunes yeah so i went in with two songs and this was before i even recorded my ep right i just wrote these two songs that were in the blues vein they were you know the one song's kind of uh, it's got like a stevie ray vaughn sort of feel to it and the other song is a one four five progression but maybe not a traditional blues right. as most people would would call it but i had this vision of like you were saying before, I started doing that John Mayer thing where it's blues music, but, uh, you know, put in a form that, you know, more people can listen to. And, uh, you know, cause I had a lot of fans who were into rock music or pop music. So trying to package the blues stuff that I really love into, you know, whatever. So the, the songs that I recorded in the studio that day were that sort of style of music. I had no intentions of, I had no vision of where it was going to go. I just knew I had these songs and I wanted to record them. So we got in, did that, and when we uh, when I talked to Derek and he wanted to send us to Memphis, I knew I had to get in the studio and make an EP because I don't want to go play all these shows without something to to represent myself with. So th- the story of the EP was kind of we got in the studio and it, it took a couple weeks to record, but it was very very quick because I had I was doing school at the time and Memphis was coming up, so we got and we did that very quick. It's rough. Looking back on it now, there's a lot of stuff I'd I'd want to change about it, but still in the in the amount of time we had, I'm you know I'm proud with with what we were able to come up with there. And this is also, I mean, I don't think you spent a lot of time in the studio prior to this. Not really, yeah. So this is all still new to you, and the the experience of recording in the studio is something that you haven't done a lot of. Yeah. So the I've been pretty lucky when I was when I was really young. I was at. Uh, in the band program, like a youth band program at this place in Milton called House of Chords, which, 
you know, I owe a lot to they, mm-hmm. those guys are great over there. Cause they kind of, they took me in from a young age and you know, that was where my guitar teaching or my guitar teacher was. And uh, I did the band program there. So I actually got a couple opportunities with my band when I was really young to get in and just experience the studio. Uh, Cause it is, if you, if you're going in and you've never been to the studio before, it's a very intimidating experience. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to record something. Mm. And, yeah. And, and especially something that you wrote and you don't know if it's good or not. <laughs> you know, you have no no idea how it's going to turn out yeah, yeah. when you leave the studio. You know, it could be awful, and you put all this money into it. And uh, luckily, it's you know, it came out pretty good. I hope, but uh, yeah, it's experience that you definitely get better better with time. And the more yeah. experience you have there, it's uh, it I, I know that you know, in, in what I do, I've had the privilege of going and witnessing some recordings. Mm-hmm. And some people make it look so easy. You just think, oh, this is simple. But it's not simple. And I've seen, you know, veterans go in and have horrible days in the studio. And you think, oh, wow, it's not always easy. You know what I mean? And and you just think, well, that whole day was shot because of something. People weren't organized or whatever. Um, But it's, I always think, whenever I see somebody recording, just how difficult it is to lay down a track and and get it to a point where they're happy with. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I think there's, there's a, a real art to that and, and the people you work with, the musicians, the producers, the engineers or whatever. So Yeah. I think who you surround yourself with in the studio is, uh, it's so important. Like, if you mm-hmm. have a good producer and uh, I'm, I'm big on, like, the vibe of a, you know, either if it's a show or a studio or whatever it is, if it's got a good vibe, that's going to translate into your playing. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to do it at House of Chords, they have a great studio there uh, with a producer I knew really well and, and my bandmates who were really supportive. And, uh, you know, hopefully that that translates into, into better music, I think, because if you're, if you're going into a studio and you're paying all this money for like a single day at a really nice studio, right. all of a sudden the pressure's on. For sure. And that can produce, you know, one of two results. Like so, for some people, I think pressure's good and yeah. it creates a better end result. But uh, if it's your first time in the studio, you don't want to be stressing about, oh, can I finish this guitar part in time? Or So it, it helps to be good production, good people around you, and I think that's the best way you can set yourself up for that. Um, okay, so when you went to see Spencer, mm-hmm. at this point you're doing cover tunes. How much writing were you doing at that point? I was doing some writing. I, I wrote a lot of songs. I have a, a lot of songs that I've written none of which I'd probably put out now, but I do owe a lot to, you know, spending the time to kind of perfect that craft, not perfect it, but, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you've written, you've wrote 50 songs or something, even if they're not good, you're still kind of figuring out the, you know, how to write a song and what works, what doesn't work. And, uh, we've, you know, even in that cover band, we'd always kind of keep it at like a 25, 75 ratio where, you know, 25% 25% of the stuff we'd play would be original stuff. Whether it was good or bad, we'd, we were just kind of testing the waters and seeing if it was something, you know, that I could do and that people When you like. said good or bad, how do you judge that? Is that based on, is it strictly based on audience reaction or is it based on how you feel about playing it and, hmm. and how the song feels to you? Well, I think, you know, when we were, when I was really young writing songs, the it's kind of biased because the audience reaction is always going to be, oh, it's a bunch of young kids and they wrote a song. So you can't really get a good gauge for how good the actual song, how good right, the song right. is. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as you get older 
and you start to listen back or you, you know, you look back on those, those lyrics that you wrote and you, you know, you kind of, you're like, oh, that wasn't that good. That wasn't that good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of based on, you know, sometimes if the audience really liked it, if you have a certain song that people came up to you after and said, oh, I really like that one song, then you kind of, you take that trail. You go, okay, well, what, you know, why do people like that song? And you start writing more songs like that. And, uh, and I think just kind of always being critical of yourself and never always, you know, even the songs I, I, I write now, the stuff I have on the record, there's so much stuff I want to change about them, but I think that's what drives progress and, mm -hmm. you know, getting better as an artist. I just did an interview with somebody very recently who said, we never get perfection. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then that's part of what they do is you just strive for it, but it, you never even come close. And, yeah. and I guess if you believe that you have, then you're in bigger trouble than you should be. So how, how does writing happen? Are you, do you have um, time set aside? Do you just be, like, are you constantly writing? How do, how do you write? The writing process for me is, uh, you know, everyone's kind of got their own way of doing it. And I've listened to a lot of these podcasts with musicians and everyone's process seems to be a little different. Uh, I'm not much of a, you know, the lyrics I write aren't profound or anything, but I can come up with some, you know, some decent lyrics when I have a good song behind it. So I, I'm usually someone who picks up a guitar first and, you know, during my practice routine or uh, just jamming, if I come up with a lick that, that strikes me, I, I go off that and then the lyrics will come. But I, you know, it's usually starts out with the guitar. Uh, I have so many, like the, f my phone is a great tool because I can just record all these little ideas I have and then go back and work them out later. Right. Uh, but I don't really set aside time because I can't, it's, I find it hard to, to find inspiration just, you know, off the cuff. Uh, it's, it's gotta be the right time, the right moment. And you can't really book that out of your schedule. Unfortunately, you know, as a songwriter, it'd be great if you could say like every Friday at 3 PM, I'm going to go write a hit song or something, but it's just, when it happens, it happens. And you just, I think that's the best way is if it's just uh, natural. Okay. So the other thing that people might not know is the fact that you're going to school full time, mm. which limits you in how much time you have to maybe schedule writing. But um, I understand that you're doing, you're going to Ryerson for business, partly because you want to understand the business of music. Yep. Tell me how that decision came about. So uh, school has always been a big focus of mine, which, you know, for a musician, it's kind of tough because going to school, going to university full time and trying to make your music career happen is not always, you know, those two don't always go hand in hand. Right. And it's been a tough year to, to balance the both of them. And, you know, the, the YouTube thing kind of had to take a back seat, which which is fine. But the reason I thought business school would be the best, you know, as opposed to going to like a music school or something like that, uh, you know, I've always kind of had a bit of a business mind. And I come from a family where, you know, my father, my mother, both entrepreneurs, uh, they both own their own business. So it always kind of felt natural to, uh, to pursue that path. And what I've found is that a lot of the stuff I'm learning in business school is very applicable to what I'm doing in music. So marketing, accounting, all this stuff that, you know, most people are just learning it and trying to pass the, uh, pass the course or whatever. And I'm learning it and thinking, you know, how can I apply this to, uh, you know, my social media marketing plan for my music or, and, uh, like, are you constantly thinking that way? Whatever you're learning, you're thinking, okay, how do I apply that to what I'm doing? Right pretty now? much, pretty much. Which it's is great. Yeah. I think, 
I think it's good because I, I'm, I find it hard putting my, my heart and soul into something if I don't really love it. Mm-hmm. So if I was just going to school, you know, I'm, I'm okay in school, but I'm, it's not something I really, really love doing. You know, for me, if I could play music every day, that's, that's, well, that's what it would be. Right. But, uh, and, and it's not like my parents pushed me into school. They've been very supportive with whatever I, I wanted to do. Uh, but it was more, I, I really wanted to go to school so I can try to fine tune my, my skills as a, as a businessman. And hopefully that can translate some, somehow into music. And, you know, also there's the, the other thing where, you know, you're going to have a, I'll have a degree at the end of it. And, you know, hopefully that can help down the line if, you know, if music, if music doesn't work, but for right now, I'm, I'm trying to go hundred percent into music. Just like, it's impressive. I mean, you don't know how many musicians I've talked to who I said, who I've asked whether they've had a plan mm. and most of them don't except to get better their craft and to play. And so many, um, I think it's big. There's a big difference between the arts and the business. And a lot of musicians who are very artistic have no clue about the business. And oftentimes that screwed them in a big way or whatever. But for you at this young age to say, I want to pursue music, but for me to do that effectively, I need to understand the business side of it is is pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you. I, and I think there's a lot of musicians who would maybe disagree with me on that. Uh, Because, you know, I've, being in the scene now, I've, I've met a lot of really fantastic musicians mm-hmm. who can play circles around me, write amazing songs. And, uh, you know, the way I've come at writing music and playing music is, you know, I'm no, I know I'm not the best guitar player or the best songwriter. Uh, not yet. <laughs> we'll see. It, like we were saying before, it's, you're always chasing perfection. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you're never there. But if I want to make a career out of this, you know, there's, there's two paths to take. It's, either become the best guitar player in the world and, you know, blow people away with your playing or whatever, or, you know, try to make a scene, try to, try to make, you know, grow a fan base and do all that stuff. And, you know, 90% of that I feel is, is more about how you're promoting yourself and connecting with your fans and stuff like that. And, uh, it's, it's, it's weird to say, but it's almost like the music is secondary if you can build a good brand and, and good connections with people. Right. And, I mean, you uh, still have to deliver the goods. That's true. Right? That's true. So, but I think what I'm saying is uh, you don't have to deliver the goods at the top level mm-hmm. to, uh, to be a fantastic live musician, let's say. Right. Uh, if, you're, if you're passionate about it and you really love doing it, that'll translate on, you know, that'll translate on stage. And I'm always trying to, you know, get better at guitar and, and be the best, you know, guitar player and singer I can be. How do you do that at this stage? Hmm. It's, uh, when I'm like, how do I practice? And yeah, like, I mean, obviously there's more to it than just practice because you have school, you have a social life, you have whatever. So, but how do you, in the, the world that you live in, which is going to school full time, um, and your other commitments, how do you set aside time or how do you get better as a guitar player? I think it's, uh, you know, it's half discipline and it's half having fun when you're doing it. Right. And this is for any, any instrument you're playing. I think if you can have fun when you're, while you're practicing, but still be disciplined to say, okay, I need to set aside an hour today to, to practice. You know, it's not like songwriting where it has to be, it's a creative endeavor and, you know, inspiration might not strike. You know, certainly there's times where you may not feel like playing guitar. 
you know, right. you're tired or whatever. You get home from school, you just want to, you know, snooze or something. But, <laughs> but if you know, practicing guitar is something where you can actually set aside an hour a day and say, okay, I gotta, I'm gonna practice or I'm gonna try to come up with riffs or I'm gonna try to, you know, rehearse for my set. And I can't remember the last time where I've done that and not enjoyed myself. Mm-hmm. And I think the moment I, I start not enjoying myself, I shouldn't be doing it anymore. Like I, I love playing guitar more than anything. And like when I'm sitting in class, of course I'm trying to focus on class, but I'm just thinking about getting home and <laughs> playing guitar, you know, throwing on a backing track and playing some Hendrix or something like that's just, it's just what I love to do. And I think if you love to do something, you're the progression will just come naturally. So tell me what you're listening to right now. Hmm. Uh, I'm listening the, the record I've listened to more than any in the last year. Uh, there's a guy named Marcus King. Marcus King Band. Yep. He has a new record called Carolina Confessions. He's like a 22-year-old kid from South Carolina. And he, he's what's inspiring me right now to, to do what I'm doing. Because he's like, he's like blues, soul, uh, one of the craziest guitar players I've ever seen. And uh, I saw him at the Phoenix a couple months back, and I met him after the show. And just the most humble guy I've ever met. And uh, I've just been listening to a lot of him. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Gary Clark Jr. Mm-hmm. I think it's really great because he's doing the blues thing, and he's he's blowing up. He's you know he's, he's but he's big also right doing now. more than just the blues thing. Yeah, right. Like he's doing a lot of interesting things. And I think that's I think that's a cool point to touch on because we were talking before about how I'm kind of you know I like doing the blues thing, but I'm kind of trying to branch out musically and right. do a couple different things. And I like artists like those two, who you can't really put them in a defined box. And, and that's not to say I don't like blues artists because that's like some of my favorite shows to go to are just straight blues guys. But uh, I'm listening to a lot of Chris Stapleton right now, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's more of a country blues side of things. Uh, who else? Oh, there's, so, there's always so many artists on the go. I always I always go back to Neil Young if, uh, if I want to get inspired to write songs. Which, which phase of Neil Young? Oh, God. I like the... Uh, the ditch trio they call it which is like on the beach uh tonight's the night like there's all all those right, right. all those records but there's the, my favorite neil young record is live at massey hall yeah that's, oh my god that's perfection that is perfection <laughs> yeah god i saw him a few years ago and he kind of replicated that <sighs> show and it was not like he didn't play anything beyond 1973 i don't think but it was like insane that he could execute the singing the way he did back in 71 yeah and you know and it comes down to songs i mean i you know i more than anything else to me it's the strength of the song yeah like if you have great songs then you have longevity yeah i i taught guitar for a year before i went to school and i'd always try to teach even if it was like a young kid or something i always try to teach them some neil young stuff and uh, I had so many people, you know, if I taught an adult or something, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't like his voice too much. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's not about that. It's not about how good he plays guitar or how good his voice is. Yeah. Personally, I like both those things with, with him, but it goes to show you, if you can write a good song, that's that's it. And he, I mean, him more than anyone, I think, he could just his ability to write a song and captivate people. And uh, it's really inspiring as, you know, because I play a lot of just acoustic shows. And I try to write a lot of stuff on acoustic guitar. And uh, that Massey Hall performance, there's some of those songs in there. It's him, it's him and an acoustic guitar. And it's like, you can hear a pin drop in there. Everyone's oh, just yeah. so dialed into what he's doing. It's fantastic. And it's also some songs that 
we know now, but when he was playing like Heart of Gold, nobody had heard that song at that yeah. point or, or stuff from Harvest. And, you know, it's probably the one of the few times you would hear Heart of Gold and nobody claps because it's a classic now. But yeah. back then it was like, what is this thing? Yeah. But it's such a stunning album. Yeah. And I have that on, I'm a big vinyl guy. My, my grandfather got me into that right. pretty heavy. And he got me that record, which was, it was like when it, they, they released it on vinyl a couple of years ago. Like I think it was pretty recent, mm-hmm. the Massey Hall performance. And there's something about that record when you put it on, on a good system, it sounds like, like the clapping and the people and the, it sounds like you're in Massey Hall. Yeah. Which just to kind of take a sidestep here, I've, one of the reasons I wanted to come to Ryerson in Toronto it's because I wanted to see shows at Massey Hall as much as possible. And now they're renovating. And, yeah. And Did you get a chance to see a few? I've seen, uh, I've seen Matt Anderson at Massey Hall twice. Okay. Uh, Buddy Guy, I saw at Massey Hall. Um, I've always wanted to see Lightfoot, but I never got a chance to see him. But that, as far as legendary venues that like, are, I would dream of playing, like if I played Massey Hall, I'd be done. I'd be, I'd, I'd be able to die peacefully sort of thing. <laughs> I like I hold that place in such reverence. That's a yeah. fantastic venue. It is a fantastic venue. Yeah. Um, do you have goals? Tell me what your goals are, because you're obviously goal oriented. You have yeah. things you want to do, like play Massey Hall. But are there things that number of things that you want to achieve, and and things that um, you're working towards? I mean, if I told you my honest goals, I feel like. I'm going to hold you accountable too. So yes. we'll be checking up. <laughs> well, like if I, you know, if every musician's dream, not every musician, but if I could like tour the world or something like that. Right. I mean, obviously that's like, that'd be the dream. But, uh, you know, I think, I think goals are good to set if you're reasonable with them, but also you want to set them high enough that, you know, it's, it's something that you can strive for. Uh, and yeah, if I, if I could, if I could make a career out of this music thing, I would be, so grateful, you know, because that's, it's really what I love doing so much. And, uh, can I ask you at this stage in your career, which is still early, what do you imagine that to be to make a career out of music? I mean, there's so many, there's so many paths and I think it's good to kind of replicate someone else, but you got to understand that your path is never going to be what, you know. And also just the world has changed a lot. Yeah. I mean, very different now yeah yeah and the industry is not what it used to be but you also have the advantage of having hundreds of thousands of followers <laughs> that you, you you come to the table with already yeah i mean that yeah I'm, I'm, you know it's it's super awesome that i've that i've have people who are interested in what i'm doing and uh over the next couple of years i just want to try to build my fan base up uh try to connect with people release music and you know in the next five years let's say if I'm if I had to put a timestamp on it if I'm able to get out of school make make something out of this music career in whatever form it is and and play music and make a living doing that I don't think there's anything else I could ask for you know and I think if something bigger comes from that if I'm whatever if I become a big recording artist or whatever that's all secondary but if I can make a career in somehow in music, even if it's like the business side of music, that's, I, I don't think I can see myself doing anything else. Um, tell me about the IBC experience. What was that like? Yeah. 
Oh my God. It was the most humbling thing I've ever done in my life. Cause that, you know, that was every, you know, the international blues challenge. It was down on, on Beale street in Memphis. Mm. And it was like every great guitar player. Cause now the blues music's kind of becoming so guitar focused. Mm-hmm. It always has been, but at that competition, especially it just seemed like there was so many fantastic guitar players. And, uh, you know, going down there, I'd never been to Memphis before. It was all new experience for me. Uh, I had four days booked, and I just tried to play as much as I possibly could. Uh, we had we had like a set at the uh, what was it called? The Tin Roof, mm-hmm. which is this great bar down there. Really good vibe. It was like packed house. Uh, so we played a thirty minute set there. But then there was all these open jams throughout the week. So I got to play at BB King's. Which nice. still I can't believe I did that, but uh, played there, uh, the Hard Rock Cafe. Forget what the other one was called, but just being in that culture, it was like this this switch flipped, and I was like, ah, this is what I want to do. This is awesome. <laughs> and I met so many so many guitar players like my age who can play circles around me, and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of work that's still okay. So, I mean, if if I can, this is probably not fair, but if I'm going to be critical about blues today, I think it's the fact that it's become much about the solo and less about the song. Mm. And it's interesting to see great guitar players and people who can play ridiculously amazing. But I can easily get tired of that. I remember seeing one great Chicago blues player who, when he came out on stage within the first five minutes, just blew me away with his his pyrotechnics uh, of playing. Yeah. And then 35 minutes later, I was thinking, good God, is this ever going to end? You know what I mean? Because you can only impress so much. Yeah. And it was just like in your face all the way. Um, so what do you get out of, and that's just a personal opinion, whether it matters or not. But so you go to Beale Street and you see all these great guitar players. What do you, what do you think? It's funny because I think uh, I tend to think along the you know, similar, similar sort, of, sort of thought there where it's becoming very competitive, mm-hmm. especially with the internet these days. You can go on Instagram and see, you can see all these guitar players who are fantastic, technically fantastic. And it's almost becoming, you know, like metal in the eighties <laughs> when it went from Led Zeppelin and song based stuff. And Jimmy Page could rip, but it wasn't like, I'm going to shred this solo to your, your right. face melts. But then like that kind of became what guitar playing was in the eighties. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what it's, it's, becoming now with blues music because there's so many great players out there but what I've been trying to put my finger on recently is why I'm captivated by certain players even if they're not the best technical player because you know like you if I go to see a show where a guy can melt your face for an hour it's awesome but there's certain guys like there's the old adage of BB King can play one note and Mm -hmm. you know blow everyone else out of the water and uh, I think it's trying to trying to find out why that is and why there's certain guys like, you know, like Marcus King, who I was talking about, who's a great player, but there's something else there. And right. it's, whether it's the song or whatever it is, there's a, it's... The feel. The feel. The That's what it is. Yeah. It's, if, if it's coming from your soul and you're, you, you mean it, uh, I think that's what I, what I learned on, the, on Beale Street too, because it wasn't all just fantastic guitar players. There was some artists there that, you know, like some vocalists just blew my mind. You can sit there for, for hours and just watch these people play. And, uh, I think it just went to show me how much great talent there is out there Mm -hmm. and how much there still is to learn. 
And I think that's, I think that's great as, as a musician, you want to be hungry. You don't want to be satisfied with what, what you're doing ever. I think if you're, if you can have those experiences every once in a while where you, you get that fire inside you and you're like, I still have so much to learn, whatever it is. I think that's, that's the, the best way to, uh, to push yourself forward. Okay. So now this com- you just finished school. You yep. just finished writing your exams. Um, what happens next? I know you have some gigs and some festival gigs coming up. Yeah. But like, like, did you just finish your exams on Friday? Is that one? Yeah, so I have my economics exam on Friday. <laughs> and okay, uh, so You must feel so much relief. Oh, God. You don't even know. It's... What happens next week? <laughs> so, you sleep in. Oh, yeah. I, I have, I'm running on limited sleep. <laughs> so basically, the, the last two weeks have been exams. Mm-hmm. And last night I did my record release party. Uh, which was organized uh, with the help of Richard Flohill. The great you know, promoter. Great, great promoter in the city here, who's a fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. He, uh, so he helped set up this show at the Painted Lady. And the date that we decided on happened to be the day after exams finished. You had no idea. I, I had an idea it would be around this time, but I didn't know it was like, oh, I'd have my economics exam the, the day before the show. How much rehearsal went into this then? <sighs> Because the last two weeks would have been pretty hellish for you. Yeah, not enough, <laughs> you know, as much as I as much as I could, sort of yeah. thing. So, and we've you know we've polished our set for you know we we practice so much for Memphis and for the Blues Summit. So we've we have a polished set, and we we weren't really too worried about that. Uh, but there were a lot of new original stuff that we need to write and perfect for last night. Right. So it was a really stressful time because you know I want obviously I want to pass school and do good, good there thing, yeah. but you know my real passions in trying to make this music thing work so promoting the show posters selling tickets merch this you know rehearsing for the show was all kind of trying to balance that with school and uh the, now it's all over and i'm just like just very relieved you know <laughs> what are you gonna do next week next week i'm uh i'm playing in kitchener they're doing a youth legacy blues show Oh, nice. Is this uh, part of the Kitchener Blues Festival? It is. So okay. I met I met them at the Blues Summit a couple this months would be back. Claude. Pardon me? Claude? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So great people. They mm-hmm. were super kind to me and they wanted me to, uh, you know, they wanted me to be involved in their, their festival in some way, uh, but they're, they were all booked up for this year. Right. So they said, we have this, this youth legacy program where you can come play it. And if you win, you can get a, a spot at the festival. So that's at a bar. I forget the exact name, but a bar in Kitchener next Saturday. Uh, and you're also doing the Ottawa Blues Festival this year. Yeah, that one's that one's really, that's really huge. crazy. Yeah, that's I mean that's definitely the biggest show I've ever uh, had the opportunity to play. Uh, so that that's July 11th. We're playing on the the Bluesville tent uh, at 6 p.m. and we're opening for I think his name's. Brandon Taz Niederauer and Shaky Graves, wow. who are two killer players. Like, I'm a little little intimidated to be to be doing that, but like, man, it's it's gonna be awesome. So, what if I asked you right now, what do you need to work on, or what are you very conscious of having to work on immediately? Is that a fair question? Like, would you would you be able to say something about yep. that? Uh. I think uh, there's there's not one thing I'd, I'd pinpoint. There's so many different things that I think I have to uh, start tweaking. Uh, the songwriting is kind of always my 
first thing I'm focusing on. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you got good songs, I think everything else kind of falls into place. Uh, so that's what I've been really focusing on lately. And then obviously after that, you got to perfect them with your band, really make sure they're tight. And just, I just want to play as much as humanly possible. Cause I, I think the, you know, getting in the studio is fun and practicing on your own is fun, but there's no better test of what you're able to do than getting up on a stage, playing it in front of people and seeing how they react. Now, is that an easy thing at this stage? Do you say, okay, I want to spend the summer playing as much as possible. Yep. How easy is that? Uh, so now that I'm done school, it's, it's just going to be, you know, I already have about 20 shows lined up this summer, you know, more stuff coming as well, but you know, now that I'm, I'm out of school, it's just, I can focus really, you know, as much as I want on, on my live show. And, uh, I do want to get back in the studio this summer as well, but it's just going to, you know, it's what I really love doing. So it's not, it doesn't seem like a job having to go and play these shows. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so we're doing Ottawa Blues Fest, July 11th, then Tremblant Blues Fest, nice. uh, July 12th and 13th. And we're actually opening for Spencer McKenzie, Wow. which is really, really awesome. We're, uh, we're going to be at a hotel up there in Tremblant, which I've never been up there. So Have you been to Ottawa? Uh, I've actually never been to Ottawa either. Okay. They're both amazing festivals. It's awesome. Unbelievable. Yeah. The Ottawa Blues Fest, it's a bit of a weird one because there, there's a lot of blues artists, but there's also a lot of other artists, you know? Which is probably why it is. It's one of the reasons why it is one of the biggest festivals, music festivals. So, yeah. you know, the fact that one year they might have Kiss or Casey and the Sunshine Band or whatever... It is what makes it successful, and they have enough blues content. Yeah. And every year, everybody complains about how the, there's not enough blues. But yeah. my, I would imagine that it is as successful as it is because of all the other musics that they have, and they have great bands, and they, you know, still have. And even this year, they have really good blues content. So. Yeah, yeah. I look at it in a very similar way, where it's like, you know, the the blues thing that we're so into is it's a bit of a niche thing. There's people <laughs> who really love it, but. I think it's great that there's an opportunity like Blues Fest where blues artists like me can go play a show that that, you know, that pulls so many people. Yeah. Because, you know, Foo Fighters played it last year and Tom Petty a couple of years ago and Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's fantastic and I'm I'm a lover of all music. So, I'm just excited to go and see all the music, you know. And and, and especially the fact that I'm playing with some great blues artists and stuff, it's just, it's going to be crazy. That's going to be exciting. I Okay, so one of the things that you have, I believe, on your website, and this is something that I've often questioned, is there's a lot of young artists who, who are brought into the blues. There's never been a shortage of young guitar players, young singers um, who get into the blues and become blues musicians. When I go to festivals, I still don't see a young audience attracted to the blues even though there are a lot of young musicians i know that in the, on your website you want to you said you want to bring in mm. younger audience to the blues how do you do that so i think looking to last night when i played at the painted lady right. the the crowd is about it's about 50 50 split of like an older audience and a younger audience uh you know that's not an easy thing bringing a younger a younger crowd into it but you know, what I can do at least, uh, from experience when I was doing the YouTube videos a lot, you know, I'd have these like skateboard videos and then I'd go and play guitar in my room and, uh, play some Stevie Ray Vaughan or something. And this still blows my mind, but I've had kids message me and say, Hey Gavin, I just want to let you know, I never heard of Stevie Ray Vaughan before and you got me into him. And I, 
I want to buy a guitar now and I just bought a Strat and I, again that I think that's the way to do it if it's natural right. you don't label it as I am a blues musician and I only play blues music it, th- there's a reason Steve Ray Vaughan was so popular and B.B. King was so popular because the, the music resonates with people and I think it's something innate in us that just it's going to resonate with us for a long time to come uh, and music's cyclical it'll go through its phases but uh, I think if you're just if you're playing that style of music and you could you can connect with a younger crowd and you, and they don't know why they're they're they like it like for example like when I went to see Matt Anderson mm-hmm. didn't know he's playing blues music I didn't know what blues music was I just knew it was like right. kicked ass it was awesome I was like this is great so hopefully I think the best way to do it is just to do it naturally and if a younger audience starts starts showing up and if that takes playing a little more rock pop style stuff infused with the blues then you know if that's what it takes then you know I'm willing to go there because I really I really do think this blues thing can it's got a lot left to give hopefully well thanks to people like you um when I met you a few months ago I was quite impressed by you um and having this chance to talk to you I'm even more impressed so thank you for doing this it's been a pleasure thank um, you and much. good luck with the summer and we will catch up and let yes. you know how things go. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on this. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure chatting. My pleasure. Hope to do it again, too.